So we're continuing this morning in our teaching series that we've been in for a few weeks now, looking at different stories in Scripture of people who have found themselves in a season of wilderness wandering, those times of transition and uncertainty and change and fear. Ever been there? Ever feel like life is just one long season of transition and fear and uncertainty and change? All those things that sort of keep you up at night tossing and turning or singing this song as Bob does. Does it get stuck in your head at night and you can't, you can't go to sleep? <laughs> tossing and turning. We're asking those questions of where do we go from here and what now? So in our own time of sort of wilderness wandering and journeying together, as sort of we've left one known reality of our church on Bluegrass Parkway and we are waiting for the next to be revealed, we are turning to scripture to remember these stories and these people, those that have gone before us in faith, who have been in a similar place and seen how God showed up and how God provided and how God kept God's promises to these people. So that first week we took a, took a look at the Israelites, I'm sort of out of Egypt, the first wilderness journeying that they experienced, and we saw how God heard their cries, and God called new leaders, and God made a way for them. God even provided food and water and sustenance and all that they needed on their journey in the wilderness. And last week, we jumped kind of back in time in the story to Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarai, who found herself in the wilderness journey after she first ran away and then second was banished. So twice we found her in the wilderness, and both times God showed up. And we learned that God is a God who cares and sees us. That she even names him the God who sees and cares for me. And that God keeps God's promises, even to those maybe considered outside the family of faith. And so this morning, we're going to be with the people of Israel again. Not for the last time. Yeah, kind of for the last time. We're going to be with the people of Israel again, this time at the end of their physical wilderness journey. The end of those 40 years. That's how long theirs lasted. Here's hoping ours isn't that long, huh? Yeah, that's my plan. <laughs> at the end of their 40 years, of their physical sort of wilderness journeying, they're on the plains of Moab, preparing to cross over into the promised land. They can see the Jordan River. They can see the promise just beyond it. And they're gathering here on the hillside, on these plains, at the end of what is their physical wandering. But I'm going to say they still have another wilderness ahead, another unknown, another uncertainty, another thing they have to go through, and that is the death of Moses the death of their leader. So I'm going to read for us now from Deuteronomy 23, nope, 34. Deuteronomy 34, verses 1 through 12. This is the very last chapter of Deuteronomy. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo, to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho, and the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land to which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. 
I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. It's quite a eulogy, isn't it? Yeah. We find Israel in a new reality this morning. Moses is dead. He would not accompany them over to the other side. Instead, he's allowed only to see from the top of the mountain the land that has been promised. And all of those names and sort of geographical markers are just to sort of prove that this is the land that God promised to Abraham and Isaac and all of the descendants to come. This is a new reality we find them in this morning. And I would venture to argue it's also a new level of fear. Israel has been in a sense of, in a place of fear before, to be sure, a sense of uncertainty. But I would argue that there's a new level now without Moses, a new wilderness, if you will, not physical as much as communal, as much as emotional, spiritual wilderness. 30 days, scripture says, they stayed on the hillside after Moses died, weeping and grieving. 30 days of fear and wilderness. I think in sort of this story, we see fear show up in lots of ways, but in kind of three particular people. If we back up a little bit, I'm willing to bet that there was fear in the system for sort of all of Israel during this time as they prepared for Moses' death. The story is recounted in Deuteronomy 31 through 34 and also in Numbers. And so you can kind of piece together the timeline um, through reading these two together. But the people have actually been there. Even though they stay for 30 days sort of after the death of Moses, the people of Israel have been here camping on the plains of Moab for a long, long time long enough for the whole book of Deuteronomy to recount it, because they are sort of reminding themselves, after these 40 years, the book of Deuteronomy recounts the entire book of the law again. The Israelites repent of their sin. They renew their covenant with God prior to crossing over. And also, Joshua is named their new leader. He's commissioned before them. And then Moses dies. So, I mean, there's like several months of preparing for what they know will be crossing over, across the Jordan, into the promised land without Moses. And then there's another 30 days of grieving and wilderness and fear. So I'm willing to bet that the first place that fear shows up, 
and that we see in Numbers 24, and all of this time of preparation is with Moses himself. It says in Numbers 24 that he, maybe not so much there's fear of his own death, but there's fear and concern of leaving the people, what he says, without a shepherd. This is in Numbers 27. Moses spoke to the Lord, pleads with the Lord, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Make him stand before Elizar, the priest and all the congregation, and you shall commission him in their sight. You shall invest him in some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. Moses pleads with the Lord, let the people not be without a shepherd. I think Moses is showing some fear here, of some concern of not his own death, but in leaving before they've made it to the promised land. So God provides a new leader, a new shepherd, and commissions in a very sort of communal public way. Everybody can participate, even pouring out some of his own authority so that they know that God is providing for them. The second group of people I think we see fear show up is for the people of Israel themselves. I mean, there's got to be fear in losing Moses or in following someone new. Moses had led them for 40 years first boldly out of Egypt and then through the, the wilderness journey up until this point. If it were not for Moses' leadership and intercession on more than one occasion, the people might have been destroyed by God. We see that in what Exodus 32, the whole golden calf episode, you know. Moses, Moses intercedes for them. Moses goes to bat for them. <laughs> If it had not been for Moses, they would have perished from hunger or thirst in the wilderness. Or they might have even been killed by multiple enemies and other groups. You can see how highly he was thought of and just that what scholars kind of call the eulogy there at the end of Deuteronomy. What we read, verses 9 through 12, of how highly they thought of Moses. He was unequaled for all the mighty deeds and all the displays of power. Part of also, too, in their preparation, kind of on the plains of Moab there, they had sent in some spies into Canaan to kind of see, hey, what are we, what, what's the situation? What are we up against? And the report was not great. <laughs> the report, they came back saying that there were people who lived there, the people who live there are strong, and the towns are very large and very well fortified. <laughs> it's a tough, maybe, situation to face. There's real fear for the Israelites. Not just in the uncertainty of what are we going to face in Canaan when we get over there, but how are we going to do that without Moses? What are we going to do now? And then third, kind of the third party that I think we might see fear, this very human uh, emotion bubble up, is with Joshua. I mean, I have to imagine... He must have been shaken in his boots a little bit. Like, woe is the man to follow Moses. <laughs> Deuteronomy 31, it says this, Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel, Be strong 
and courageous. For you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. This is Moses, the great, saying these words to Joshua. The Lord goes before you. He will be with you. These are the same words that we see God himself say to Joshua at the beginning of Joshua chapter 1. How many times? Three times the Lord says, Be strong and courageous, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I wonder what, you, what it means this morning to you to be courageous. What does it mean to be brave? Throw something out. Yell it out to me. Don't be afraid. <laughs> what did you say? fearless, okay? You can do hard things. Yeah, what else? What does it mean to be courageous? Risk taker, trying again, overcoming injustices. Yeah, to be courageous. Willing to die. Yeah. A martyr? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. Perseverance, vulnerability. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. All of those things. This idea of showing courage to be brave simply means to, to do something sort of in the face of fear, even if it scares you. So I'm really glad that, Daryl, I didn't even plant that. But I'm, I'm going to hook, line, and sinker that. It's not fearless, right? We think the world tells us to be, to be courageous, to have courage, is to not have fear to be without fear, but it's actually to do the thing even though you are afraid <laughs> because you know in your gut and in your core it is the right thing to do. Okay, I'm not, I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there, but you really just teed it up, you know? You just set it up really well. No. <laughs> willing to die, willing to fall on your sword for your uh, pastor that just threw you under the bus. Thank you. Um, Last week, we commissioned Lindsay Million, who flies out this afternoon to Qatar for a year to work in a hospital with Afghan refugees, doing some quality control. It's a new project. She's told me, I finally got my ticket. I finally know the time I'm leaving. They've told me I don't have housing yet, and I'll be in a hotel for a week. And someone mentioned to her in the last couple of weeks, she's like, man, you must be fearless. And she said to them, absolutely not. I'm terrified. I am so afraid. And as I had lunch with her, she was saying, I don't have a place to stay, and I don't know when this is happening. I'm so out of control, but I know in my gut and in my core, this is the right thing, and it is what God is calling me to do. And so I'm going to do it, even though I'm afraid. And the person responded, oh, then I guess you're brave. <laughs> that's, that's our word. Our Lindsay is courageous, and she is brave. And if you're watching, we love you, and we're praying for you. And we're so excited to hear an update soon. Brave is doing on the outside whatever your insides tell you is the right thing. When everything around you, the situation is saying, danger, danger, stop. To be brave and courageous 
is to do that, even in the face of that fear. Friends, living this life of faith doesn't mean we won't have fear. It means that in those moments of fear, we can practice courage, doing the right thing, because of the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, because God is with us. This is really the key for all of Israel throughout all their time that we can learn from. Even 30 days grieving with Moses, crossing over into the unknown, all of these reminders for them and for us that God is with them. Promising it, repeating it over and over to Joshua. As they go into this unknown, this new terrain, this promise, God will be with you. Now, for Israel, the practice of remembering came after they crossed into the Jordan River. Do you remember last summer we did a series called Down by the River? And there was one week I talked about, a lot of weeks I talked about the Jordan River, but one specifically we talked about this moment in Israel's history where they cross over. In case you've forgotten, it's actually like another, like, mini little sea parting again, where they carry the Ark of the Covenant, and the priests go before them, and the, 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 the river parts, and they walk across on dry ground. I mean, it's a miraculous crossing again, and it kind of bookends their wilderness journey, right? Out of, out of slavery, into freedom, but now into the promised, this another, you know, miraculous crossing, we talked about that in a whole teaching last summer. But what I think is the most powerful thing about that story is that after they go through, the Lord says, now I want you to remember this. And the way I want you to remember it is I want you to take 12 people that represent the 12 tribes, and I want you to take 12 stones from this river, each of you. And I want you to carry them, and on the other side, I want you to sort of build something <laughs> that these 12 stones will stand to remember that God was with you and is with you. From Egypt to the wilderness to now, God has been with you. We can read about it in Joshua 4. And they say, this is the, the, this, these are the instructions. Here's verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark, of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. These stones will be to you a sign, a sign among you that God was with them and helping them and going before them. Friends, this life of faith doesn't mean we won't have fear. And oftentimes, I think fear is described as like a lack of faith. Like if you are afraid, it means you just don't trust God enough. But fear is a human emotion. We were designed and created to have these sort of human emotions and these reactions, sometimes like real dangers of like survival mode kicks in. Right? In these moments of fear, we re we, what's the uh, fight, flee, or freeze? I've learned that one more recently. I'm like, oh, that feels right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a fleer. I'm not a fighter, but I do freeze. Fight, fear, or... There's too many Fs today. Fight, 
Flight, fight, freeze. I think I put flee in, okay, you're with me. You got it, you could do this, yeah. But fear is a normal, natural human reaction. We're not saying that we aren't gonna have fear, but when we do fear, what, how are we gonna remember who we are and whose we are? What, what are we gonna do in those moments that we remember who God has called us to be, to maybe do the hard thing, even in the face of that fear uncertainty? I think we need reminders in our lives too, in those practices and stories and traditions to recall the times when God has been with us and has provided and has seen us through. Because in the midnight hour, tossing and turning in the middle of the fear and uncertainty and change and panic, in the middle of my freeze, it's hard to know which way is up. We aren't thinking straight. We need something to hold us steady to hold on to us. How can we remember that God is with us? Every time you see, I I sort of see it in scripture, I know it's like, but the angel of the Lord says, do not be afraid, do not fear. I think I've told you this before, it's not like a stop doing that. It's an encouragement. Do not fear, God is with you. Do not fear, God will provide. Do not fear, God has a plan. So that because God is with us, We can be courageous in the face of our fear. How can we remember that God is with us? In my moments of freeze and fear, a helpful practice for me is just to take a deep breath and to recall those moments in my past where God has been present and providing and with me. I think you remember, you look around, you remember this community gathered here that we are not alone, that we are on this journey together. Lindsay said in the moments where her fear is just going to get the best of her, when she's kind of there so far away and for a year not able to come home, she said, I have my text thread of eight or nine women in my life who know me and who love me, and I can just text them and say, hey, pray, or hey, remind me that you love me. (laughs) Remind me that God's in here, in this, with me. And she said, I know that those nine women will respond immediately, reminding me who I am. That's a practice of courage to help her face her moment of fear. All of us here today, I hope, will remember the own promise made to us at our own baptismal waters. When God claimed us, When God said, I got you, when God said, my grace is sufficient for you, I know you are afraid, yes, and I'm with you. My Holy Spirit has been poured out upon you to give you all that you need, to give you your strength, to do the right thing, to overcome the injustice and the impression and the evil. All those questions that I asked Brianna this morning, Whatever sin, whatever form they present themselves in this world, that's hard to do. That's scary. But because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, because of the promise of our own baptismal waters, we can remember that God is with us. I'm not sure what that practice is for you, 
but I believe as a community of faith, we have our traditions and our liturgies and our, and our sacraments of, of these reminders and signs of God's grace so that when our children ask, what do these stones mean to you? What does this tank mean to you? What does this table mean to you, the body and the cup and the bread? What does this people, this community of faith, this family mean to you? We can have an answer. And we can tell them, it's my Christ and my God who strengthens me. This is another moment that we recall and we remember. In fact, Jesus said all throughout that supper as he blessed elements, remember, do this in remembrance of me. Because we know life gets tough and it gets difficult and it gets scary and there are so many unknown things that you are facing right now and maybe your own personal wilderness that you are afraid of. Starting a new job, moving to a new city, starting at a new school, about to get married. <laughs> yeah. Health concerns that your families are facing, worrying and tossing and turning at night, are my children going to be okay? All kinds of things that we face individually that as a family, we can now come to this communal table and recall the story and remember. Yes, we are afraid, and God is with us. Yes, we are afraid, but God has called us and claimed us. Yes, we are afraid, but the Holy Spirit is at work within you to go and to share the love and the joy and the courage that to the world makes no sense. We remember today that night that Jesus blessed bread, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples, and said, take and eat. This is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we remember this morning the cup that Jesus took and blessed, and he said, this is my cup of the new covenant that's been poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins for the regeneration of your life to become a new creation. Take, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. And so God, we give you thanks for these signs for us this morning, for these gifts of grace, where we recall the story of our own faith and our own journeys and how you have been with us. And we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Would you truly make them be for us the body and blood of Christ? That we may be his hands and feet in this world, that we may be signs of his grace, his joy, and his glory. By your Spirit, O oh God, make us one with you, make us one with each other, and make us one in ministry to the ends of the earth until Christ comes in final victory and we can feast at that heavenly banquet. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.